Good evening, Raleigh, and welcome to this week's Eye on the Triangle. I'm Nick Savage, and it's Tuesday, May 1st. And I'm Jake Langlois, and we thank you for tuning in. It is the last day before exams begin, so to everyone stressing out there right now, good luck. This week, we have for you a little bit of insight into the lives of emergency service workers, as well as roller derby. In addition, Chris Hughes was here a couple of weeks ago, and one of our contributors just happened to be there. In addition, we went around campus asking students how they've been dealing with the stress of finals week. As always, Dave returns with Holidays of the Week. But first, let's check the weather. What do we got out there, DeAndre? Hey guys, first of all, I'm sorry Katie can't be here, but luckily we have me. Well, today it certainly felt warm out there with temperatures making their way up into the mid-80s. Tonight we will stay warm with lows in the upper 60s. Now we do have a severe thunderstorm watch in effect for tonight until 9pm. This means that conditions are favorable for severe thunderstorm development, so stay tuned for any warnings that may be issued later on the show. Now, our chances for thunderstorms will continue into tomorrow and tomorrow evening, so stay on the lookout for any severe weather updates. Tomorrow will certainly be a hot one, since temperatures are expected to hit 90 degrees for the first time this year. It looks like summer is swinging into gear early, since we will continue to see highs in the lower 90s and lows in the mid to upper 60s through Friday. We have an overall pleasant weekend ahead of us with highs in the mid-80s and lows in the lower 60s and partly cloudy skies. So the good news is that it finally feels like summer has arrived, but that also means more thunderstorms. So once again, a severe thunderstorm watch remains in effect until 9 p.m., so be sure to stay tuned for any weather updates. And that's your weather for the week. Thanks for tuning in here on Eye on the Triangle. Thanks, DeAndre. Now, how about that international news out there? Let's get some of that going. (laughs) Yeah, dude, I definitely have some of that, too. Um, We got some good and bad stories today. First... President Barack Obama thanked U.S. troops for their service and signed an agreement on cooperating with Afghanistan on an unannounced trip there Tuesday, which is today, the first anniversary of the U.S. raid that killed Osama bin Laden in neighboring Pakistan. Quote, Afghanistan has a friend and a partner in the United States, unquote, Obama said before um, before he and Af- Afghan President Hamad Kazari signed the, the strategic partnership agreement outlining cooperation between their countries once the U.S.-led international force withdraws in 2014. On his third trip to Afghanistan since taking office, Obama also addressed troops at Bagram Airfield and will make a televised address at 7.30 p.m. tonight. At the signing ceremony, Obama said, Now the country asked for the war that began more than a decade earlier, but now they would work in partnership for a peaceful future. Next, when Ji Yiqing awakened, she was already in the recovery room. Chinese authorities had dragged her out of her home and moved down and down four flights of stairs, she said, restraining and beating her, her husband as he tried to come to her aid. They whisked her into a clinic, held her down on a bed, and forced her to undergo an abortion. Her offense? Becoming pregnant with a second child in violation of of China's one-child policy. The issue of forced abortions and, in some cases, forced sterilizations in China has seized the spotlight in recent days with news of escaped activist Chen Guacheng. A fellow activist, Hui Jia, said Chen has taken refuge at the U.S. Embassy in Beijing. On a January 2011 visit to the United States, Chinese President who Janato reportedly denied that China was forcing women to submit to abortions. Representative Ileana Roslethin of Florida, who gave Hu a list of human rights concerns, said that Hu insisted a forced abortion policy does not exist, according to media reports. Finally, on May 16th of last year, a 22-year-old Austrian named Maskud Lodin was being questioned by police in Berlin. He had recently returned from Pakistan via Budapest, Hungary, and then traveled overland to Germany. 
His interrogators were surprised to find that hidden in his underpants were a digital storage was his digital storage device and and memory cards. Several weeks later, after laborious effects to crack a password and software to make the file almost invisible, German investigators discovered it encoded inside the actual video a treasure trove of intelligence. More than 100 Al-Qaeda documents that included an inside track of some of the terror group's most audacious plots and a roadmap of future operations. Future plots include the idea of seizing cruise ships and carrying out attacks in Europe similar to the gun attacks by Pakistani militants that paralyzed the Indian city of Mumbai, Mumbai in November 2008. Ten gunmen killed 164 people in that three-day rampage. Terrorist training manuals in PDF format in German, English, and Arabic were among the documents, too, according to intelligence sources. And that's all I've got for today, Nick. Thanks, DeAndre. As exams bear down upon all of us, sometimes we're on our, we are our own worst enemy. Grant Buckner went around campus recently to find out what's keeping the wolf pack from studying. Now take a few deep breaths in and out, breathing in and out. After a few breaths... Let's be honest, no one is deep breathing to relax during exam time. I asked some students what they were doing to procrastinate and chill out. What have you been doing? I've been uh, going to the gym and uh, watching some Hell's Kitchen on TV. Yeah. Playing video games. Nice. What kind of video games? Uh, Wii games. <laughs> Call of Duty. <laughs> no, I play Wii. We're um, popping balloons full of paint <laughs> as a de-stress. What have you been doing to procrastinate? She Napping. Napping. Like a champ. That's a good activity. Thanks. Pinterest. Pinterest. What have you been doing on Pinterest? Just looking at anything on Pinterest. Anything. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> How about you? Watching Disney movies. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. What kind of Disney movies? 102 Dalmatians, Tangled. And it seems like exams might really be getting to some people. Finding Nemo? No. Finding Mermaid. Finding Mermaid's Pixar. Finding Mermaid? Finding Nemo's Pixar. <laughs> so no matter how you're de-stressing, make sure you study hard so that you're not here for more years of procrastination than are necessary. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Grant Bucker, 88.1 WKNC. The lives of emergency workers can be highly stressful. So stressful, in fact, that there has been a recent rise in the number of suicides among emergency service workers. DeAndre Jones recently sat down with an advocate for preventing suicide among our nation's emergency responders. As college students, we may find ourselves on the wrong side of the law every now and then. However, I don't think that many people realize the enormous amount of mental stress and mental trauma that law enforcement officers go through. Suicide is a rising problem in today's society, but I bet you didn't know that this especially applies to policemen and women. My guests in the studio today had a lot to say about this fact and about how we can help with this growing issue. Hey guys, I'm in the studio today with Stephen Moore, a former police officer who is now an advocate for, well, I guess, Stephen, this would be a better job for you to say. What would you say that you're an advocate for now? We are advocating uh, suicide awareness and prevention. Through my experience as a law enforcement officer, started looking for ways to deal with police officers and stress-related issues and found out that police officers were three times more likely to commit suicide than were to be killed in the line of duty. Um, that statistic has just stuck with me. 
I was in police work for close to 15 years and had every in-service available, um, had several certifications, advanced certifications, but never had any type of in-service training on mental health issues and stress-related issues. And that was kind of the catalyst for becoming involved in suicide awareness. And I read that you were going to be participating in the Out of Darkness Walk. It's the Out of the Darkness Overnight. It's an 18-mile walk from dusk till dawn to promote suicide awareness. This year, it'll be June 9th and 10th, held in San Francisco, California. Generally, it's held in, in different major cities throughout the country. Uh, we've been to Chicago twice, New York twice, um, Boston, and this year we'll be in California. And basically, the, the mantra is to bring suicide and mental health issues out of the darkness um, into the light. And that's the, the purpose for walking from dusk till dawn. Yeah, it's definitely a mission statement that our radio station shares as well. Being a former law enforcement officer, would you say that you understood the stress issues that come from the job and you would understand what puts law enforcement officers uh, in the position to commit suicide? I do, and I think that is where my credibility comes. Um, I'm actually working toward my master's now in counseling to counsel law enforcement officers and public safety workers in post-traumatic stress and critical incident stress. And I think knowing what these guys deal with on a day-to-day basis kind of helps me to understand the stresses. But even being in the job as long as I was, I never realized that the suicide rate was so high. So you said that you had been in different cities before. How many times have you done this walk? This will be either the fifth or sixth walk. We didn't get a chance to go last year because of things that came up, but for about the last five or six years. And who's the we that you're referring to? Is it an organization that you're a part of or just a group of people that you go to the walk with? The... Parent organization for the walk is the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. They are the foremost advocate for suicide awareness and prevention, front runner in research and education and prevention programs. They pretty much try to cover the whole gamut of ages and so forth. They have initiatives for college campuses, elder suicide, and young people as well. And at these walks, what would you say that the environment is? Is it a an enjoyable thing or is it a somber, sad occasion? It's a little bit of both. When I first did it, I was overwhelmed. At the time, I, I had a couple of acquaintances that I knew committed suicide. This year is going to be a little more uh, meaningful for me personally because I had a good friend of mine that committed suicide a little over a year ago. But the, the mood is, is really breathtaking because there's between twelve and 1,500 walkers that all have been affected in some way by suicide. And then there are probably three to 500 volunteers that you know, are using their talents elsewhere but still had been affected somehow. And a lot of it is you know, the walkers meeting new people and sharing about their loved ones that committed suicide. And I mean, it's really kind of a catharsis throughout the whole night. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of remembrance and a lot of joy that goes along with remembering uh, these people. But uh, it can be kind of solemn as well. 18 miles. Wow, that's that's a long time. Is there any preparation, any training, or do you just go out there and walk? <laughs> they do have training walks, and you can form teams and, and do training walks. I have been pretty fortunate. You know, they have every couple of miles, they have rest stops with food and you know, replenish your beverages and stuff. Um, usually at about the halfway point at midnight, they have a big not really a big meal, but they have a, a meal to kind of get your energy and strength going. And especially if you if you hook up and start talking to other people, it, it really doesn't seem that long. 
Uh, does it usually take from literally uh, dusk till dawn? The opening ceremonies are usually about 7.30 p.m., and we usually walk in between 7.45 and 8. Um, the first group probably finishes up around maybe 4, 4.45, but probably the bulk of the group is coming in as the sun's coming up. Is there any specific reason why there isn't uh, mental health classes in law enforcement today, or is it just not been brought up? The problem with mental health issues and specifically suicide is that it's something that people don't want to talk about. One of the, the main things in law enforcement is you know it's seen as a sign of weakness. And if an officer goes to his superior and says, you know, I'm, I'm having these problems for you know whatever's going on, that I'm, I'm thinking I just, you know, life's just not worth living or whatever, the ramifications could just be, you know, they're afraid that their guns will be taken away, they'll, they'll lose their job, um, their family won't be provided for. So there's a lot of, of that stuff that goes into play with law enforcement specifically. But, you know, the problem as a whole, and that was, you know, that's one of the reasons that events like the overnight and some of the other things that we do throughout the year are so important, is that people have to realize that admitting you have a problem is not a sign of weakness. Statistics show that 90% of people who commit suicide have some type of diagnosable, treatable condition such as depression, which you know, now is, nowadays is easily treated with medication, therapy. It's just a matter of not feeling ashamed to, to speak up and say that you're having these problems. Do you think that in the current society today, do you think that someone would actually be penalized for admitting that they have some sort of problem like that or do you think that it would be seen as a as a concern amongst uh, higher-ups i think we we are definitely making progress in you know showing that this really is nothing to be ashamed of you know if you know, if you're walking out of off campus today and you fall and break your arm you're going to go get treatment and have your arm set cast whatever you know if you're having some type of, of mental illness you know, just depression or whatever, why don't you afford yourself the same care as going to be and having that treated? Um, unfortunately, there, I, I think there are probably some agencies, some companies that would look at it as a weakness and that the person that actually took the stand or had the guts to stand up would actually be penalized for doing that. So guys, if you have, you know, if you have the time to go out and walk in this walk, please do. And if not, do your best to, to raise awareness for this sort of thing. Because um, it is a problem, not just with police officers, but with people all today. So, Stephen, can you give us the date of the uh, the walk one more time? The walk is June 9th and 10th. Website is www.theovernight.org. Or you can also go to www.afsp.org for all the statistics and, and more information. And Stephen, is there anything else that sh- – is there any last words that you would like to leave the listeners with before we wrap up this interview? Yeah, if you're struggling with these issues, get some help. There are you know, people available. There is the National Suicide Talk Line. You can get the number on either one of those websites. If you know of somebody, one of the things that we try to, to impress upon high school students particularly is that there should be no code of silence when somebody tells you that they want to kill themselves. And I think that applies to you know the college scene as well. If you think somebody is going through these issues, you know, if you're Call yourself a friend. You owe it to them to, to make sure they get help. Don't leave them and call somebody that can that can help them. We've been silent too long, and it's, it's just time to get these issues out into the open so they can you know, get the treatment that they deserve. We here at WKNC definitely agree with that. Thank you, guys, for Iron the Triangle. This has been DeAndre Jones with Stephen Moore. We're going to take a quick break, but stick with us. We'll be back with Chris Hughes. 
Chris Hughes was here not too long ago speaking about the rise of social media in a constantly evolving world and the role it plays in the newsroom. Here's Will with the scoop. Good evening. Christopher Hughes is a native of Hickory, North Carolina, and was graduated from Harvard, where his most conspicuous success was the co-invention in 2004 of the phenomenal social networking website Facebook. Following graduation, Mr. Hughes went to work for Barack Obama's presidential campaign, where he headed an online publicity effort widely noted for its broad reach and sophistication. Mr. Hughes currently publishes and serves as editor-in-chief of the New Republic, which he purchased in March of this year. On Monday, April 2nd, Mr. Hughes presented the 2012 Harrelson Lecture to an audience of NC State students, faculty, and members of the public in Stewart Theater. The topic was the changing media landscape, how social media is transforming news and information. This evening, we are pleased to present edited extracts of that lecture and the question and answer session that immediately followed. The views expressed herein by Mr. Hughes do not in any way reflect the opinions of WKNC or of NC State student media. In keeping with this topic, Mr. Hughes offered reflections on the future direction of news and reporting. Long-form, thoughtful journalism will survive and in fact flourish as long as there are curious minds, like the minds in this room, who are engaged with the world around them. And universities like this one are responsible for cultivating these practices in young people like you and like me. The tradition of the liberal arts education is at the heart of, I think, what has made America so great and so successful for such a long period of time. From this education, all the students in this room eventually will leave here and will specialize. You'll go on, you'll choose a career, maybe you'll go to graduate school, you'll choose one particular thing. One of these fields will become important to you, more so than the others. But the liberal arts education, if it's effective, and it's a big if, should have cultivated a sense of wonder at the world, and most importantly, a desire to continue to learn. It's a desire to challenge yourself to explore new ideas, to continuously think about your place in the world, am I doing the right thing, and to be thoughtful about the role that you play in it on a day-to-day -day basis. When questioned about the ever-increasing volume of information, Mr. Hughes posited a moral responsibility on the part of both creators and consumers to properly discern that which is worthwhile and credible. There is just so much information being created. Eric Schmidt, who's the, who is the chair of the board at Google, has a, a great quote where he says something like, the amount of information that we're creating in a single day now is equivalent to uh, the amount of information that was created in the past uh, in the past in a decade or something like that or and, and the curve is is going in the direction where it's even more extreme so there's no shortage that there is a an immense amount of information the question is how do we organize it and how do we figure out what to pay attention to and I think that whether this is something that will always be the case or is just going to be the case for the next 10 to 20 years I don't know but I firmly believe that we will look to our friends and our family who say, hey, did you see that great piece in? And they might say that on Twitter or Facebook or in person. And we'll look to the brands that we trust. So uh, that will be news organizations. That will be blogs. It doesn't have to be an, uh, something that's enormous and been around for a very long time. But we have to look to those, um, those institutions to know what's important. As content creators, I think we also have a responsibility and an opportunity to um, think carefully about the world around us and share our opinions. I mean, there is now the opportunity to 
you know, develop a coherent, um, thoughtful argument. And before, whether when that would might have just been a paper that you gave to a professor, maybe you shared with a couple friends, you can publish that on the internet now. And in many cases, start a dialogue about whatever your research is on, whatever you're thinking, whatever it is that you're thinking about. Um, so I would challenge, I challenge myself, and I would challenge. Um, everyone here to be constantly thinking about what is unique about your own perspective or your own story and what you as an individual can be sharing um, with the world. Mr. Hughes fielded questions about his own web habits, including his use of a renowned Facebook rival. Someone from the audience wants to know if you have a Twitter. I do. I do. And I use, I use Twitter, um, usually I check it once a day to find out what people are chatting about. I think Twitter is a fantastic tool to stay in touch with um, with thought leaders and you know celebrities and all kinds of, of people who are sharing very short snippets of about what they're what they're doing. So I use Twitter. I use Twitter less personally than Facebook, um, mainly because <laughs> I wonder why. No, um, no, but 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 from a from a very. I mean, I use Google products more than I use Facebook. I mean, it's not for out of out of you know. I'm a Facebook shareholder, and I have an interest here. But um, I'm inside Gmail and Google search in those products probably more time than I am um, inside Facebook. But for me, between Facebook and Twitter, Facebook just feels I get more quality stuff. I know uh, I know what's happening amongst my friends and amongst my family, and um, and that's that's why that's why I go back, and that's why I use it. But um, there's there's quite a lot of, of studies that show um, that show that my experience. I mean, this Pew study that I mentioned. If you, if anyone is interested in this particular point, you should check it out because it shows that um, that's actually the most common experience. Is people tend to go to Facebook to get uh, to use a filter, friends and family, and they go to Twitter um, to use thought leaders. In addition to his leading roles in Facebook and the Obama campaign, Mr. Hughes has gained renown for his social activism and widespread philanthropy. Given the tremendous opportunity you have for philanthropy, uh, how do you determine what, uh, what issues and what groups to support? I think a few things. I think in order to figure out how philanthropy works or what, what one should do with capital, or even, you know, I'm going I'm to get a little academic for a second, what one should do with capital or what, even what one should do with one's time in terms of a career perspective, I think it requires considering um, what are you good at, like, as in what do you know, what do you enjoy, and we were talking about this a little bit with a smaller group earlier. And what does the world need? What is it that if you don't do it, there's a, sl a smaller likelihood that it will happen, whatever it may be. So with philanthropy, to, to answer the question a little bit more narrowly, we give a lot of thought to what causes are important, but if we don't provide the capital, will it not happen? What are some of the things that you see? What are some of the big opportunities that you see out there, you know, knowing what you do, about social networking technology and about society that you see as big opportunities for the students in our, in our audience today. Mr. Hughes closed by painting an optimistic picture of the opportunities available to today's technologically savvy American young people, stressing the importance of discipline and motivation. I, I mean, I think I, I am clearly an optimist on this sort of stuff, but I think that we live in an era where, you know, a 21-year-old, or in our case, for the Facebook, a, 19, a group of 19-year-olds can come up with an idea and through persistent focus um, have it, you know, become the, uh, an enormous company. And more importantly than company, product that 
hundreds of millions of people use and I think generally enriches um, their lives on, uh, on a daily basis. So we live, I think we live in a really unique historical time where that, the, that opportunity exists. And it, it, so from my perspective, it really means there's no, there's no excuse not to embrace that. I mean, it doesn't mean that everybody needs to be a tech entrepreneur, but it does mean that um, I think everyone should be thinking about you know, what they have that's special and unique, what skill set that is, what the marketplace, and just as importantly, if not more importantly, what the world needs, and try your hardest to, to pursue it. You've been listening to excerpts from the 2012 Harrelson Lecture, presented by Christopher Hughes of Facebook and the New Republic. I'm William Allen, and this is WKNC, dial 88.1 FM and streaming live at wknc.org. Now back to Nick and Jake in the studio. Thanks, Will. Roller Derby seems to have gotten more popular in the past few years. Jake recently spoke with the Carolina Roller Girls, the Triangle's very own roller derby team, about the rapidly growing sport. What is this? Roller derby? Welcome to skate night at the warehouse. That is the trailer to the 2009 film Whip It, about a young woman who discovers her passion for roller derby in a small Texas town. Now chances are good you've heard of this sport, which is quickly growing in popularity all over the country. But if you're like me, you probably don't know much about this sport, other than the fact it's played on roller skates and it can be really, really brutal. Here in Raleigh, in this triangle, we have the Carolina Roller Girls. If they sound familiar, it's probably because you've seen their flyers around town, or their billboard on Capitol, or at any number of public events around Raleigh. I myself saw them at the St. Patrick's Day Parade in March in what they say is an aggressive new marketing campaign. I recently sat down with the Roller Girls to discuss some of the finer points of the sport of roller derby. Hi, I'm Evelie, and I'm number 13, and I've been playing with the Carolina Roller Girls since January of 2004. According to Evelie, the rules of roller derby are actually pretty straightforward. There's 14 people on the bench, that's the maximum amount to uh, play. And there's five people from each team on the track at a time. Five go out from each team, and there's four that go to the front. Those are the blockers. And then there's one from each team that lines up at the back of the pack. And those girls are called the jammers, and they wear stars on their helmets. They are the only ones that can score points. And they score points by lapping the pack and passing opposing team players legally. So basically, there are five members of the team on the rink at any given time. Four blockers and one jammer. The blockers must protect their jammer and keep the opposing team's jammer from skating past them. This means sometimes having to knock opposing blockers out of the way to let their jammer through. That's the part most people are familiar with when they think of roller derby. And even though they say the violence is not as bad as most people think, it can still be brutal. A lot of people are really surprised when they come and see it, um, that it is real and it is dangerous. Um, but we do protect ourselves, and we do a lot of drills to learn how to protect ourselves. And the training is intense. I asked Jojo Gadget, a three-year blocker, about the kind of training they have to go through as members of the team. And, uh, let me see. We, we train. We can train up to uh, six days, really. Um, I mean, we have endurance a couple times a week. We have a Sunday practice, which is almost about five hours. You know, the All-Stars, they come in early in the morning and practice a few hours and everybody joins us and we practice we have a thursday night practice we practice a couple hours at the skate ranch off of capitol 
Um, we also have APC, the Athletic Performance Center. They're a sponsor, so we go there and we train. They got some good trainers there. CrossFit, um, Raleigh CrossFit. Um, Chanel and Kim and Will and all of them are our coaches. Um, we go there and we train Olympic lifting and we get our endurance in there, all that good stuff. It's hard. And keep in mind, none of these women are paid. It's all for the love of the game. My name is Chakra Khan, and I've been with the league um, with Scaristotle and Fritz, so June of 2011. I asked her a little bit about the difficulties of having to juggle life and a passion as time-consuming as being a member of the Carolina Roller Girls. Like JoJo said earlier, a lot of us, I mean, the training is really intensive, so, um, you know, it takes a lot of time out of your personal time, you know. Um, a lot of us, um, our age in our league is anywhere from typically like 19, 20, all the way up into our 40s. So you have people that are mothers, that are, you know, um, full-time workers, you know, who are pursuing, deg- some of us are pursuing degrees. Um, I go here at NC State. And I've been here, this is my second semester, um, working. I work full-time as a massage therapist. I, you know, go to school three-quarters time, and I attend practices. Um, it's, it's a really tough juggle, but it's definitely worth it. And that's the thing. As difficult as it can be, as brutal as the game can get, these women are in love with this game. For them, it is a passion. I love it. I am, like, really in love. And then I have my teammates... They are, they're great. It's like, it's a bond, you know, that when you're out there with them doing your thing, making stuff happen, and it's something that you, you can explain, but you can't explain it, because I don't know how to explain it, but mm-hmm. it feels real good, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> The Carolina Roller Girls' next home game will be at the Dorton Arena on Saturday, May 19th. They are participating in the Got To Be NC Roller Derby Expo and will be playing teams from all over North Carolina. You can find more information at carolinarollergirls.com. Be sure to check them out. You will not be disappointed. For On The Triangle, I'm Jake Langlois, 88.1 WKNC. Next, let's turn to Dave to see what holidays we should be celebrating this week. Dave? Thank you, Jake. Uh, Welcome, everyone. Uh, Since it's the first day of the month, I'd like to welcome everyone to, okay, it's National Salad Month, it's National Bike Month, and it's National Photograph Month, among many others, because, like, every month gets, like... So I'm definitely noticing a, a pattern, at least with the first two, very health conscious... Salads and bikes, yes. Very. Huh. Uh, I think we're starting to see some more summery, some some more summer themed holidays here. That would make sense. At what least else? with the month, anyway. And oh, this week, uh, starting today, is bread pudding recipe exchange week. So, uh huh. Who exchange? Go out there and exchange some recipes for bread pudding. I don't All know right. if I. I don't know if I have any. Do you, Jake? Uh, you know, in the age of the internet, they can't be that hard to find. <laughs> Thank you, Internet. Um, today is Batman Day. I, so I can get awesome. behind that. Law Day. Uh, May Day, of course. Right. And Save the, Ra- Save the Rhino Day. Okay. That's, those are, that's a good cause. Um, 
tomorrow is a bit odd. It's Robert's Rule of Order Day. I'm sorry? It, what does that even mean? Robert's Rule of Order. Oh, oh, the one for like meetings and stuff where they're all like organized? Is that Yeah, what it's the rules that Congress uses. Um, yeah, uh, it keeps it like efficient and stuff. And, okay. You know, right. we should probably employ that during our meetings, but we don't. So. Well, oops. Sure. <laughs> it's also Baby Day. Which baby is, Day. Is that I, like a celebration? I didn't of- look up like what exactly about babies we're celebrating <laughs> just like hey babies i mean so, that's, that's cool you can celebrate i guess you could celebrate like in a lot, a lot of different ways sure <laughs> yeah that's uh, up to your discretion um thursday is national day of prayer uh as well as national day of reason wait national day of prayer is is that like a you didn't know about that what do, uh, no <laughs> it's just a national it's just According to who? Day promoting prayer. According to whom, Jake? Proper grammar. According to whom? Is it the <laughs> National Day of Prayer? I think a lot of churches <laughs> sort of embrace that. Yeah. I think okay. It's a, huh. Fair um, enough. It's a, they just promote prayer. And it's also the National Day of Reason. It's also sort of different from those two, the National Two Different Colored Shoes Days. Oh. Uh, day. And it's also Public Radio Day. So yes. appropriate for <laughs> that is us. us. <laughs> Uh, Friday is International Firefighters Day. Good cause, good cause. Uh, no Pants Day. I don't also, think I'll be celebrating. Also that. good, I will be celebrating. Uh, respect for Chickens Day. So, not to not eat chickens on I don't think, I don't Friday. Think you have to. Oops. You, you can't give up one day <laughs> I mean, chicken? Yeah, like but you could like, eat a hamburger instead of The bottom chicken. line is you don't I mean, have to not eat it to respect it. I mean, if, as long as you respect where it is. That's a good like, point, Jake. That's a know? good point. Well, pay double for your chicken. Because you can respect it by Friday. enjoying how good it tastes. Exactly. So don't don't take it for granted, I think, is the bottom line right. if you're going to eat it. It's also, of course, Friday is May the 4th, so it is Intergalactic Star Wars Day. May the 4th be with you. Exactly. Right. Saturday is Kentucky Derby, uh, Cinco de Mayo. It's of course. 5th of May. And it's National Homebrew Day, so I'm sure we can. No, we all, can't. No, we can't. <laughs> no one can. in this room can celebrate. But I'm sure some of you are old enough who are listening. So National Homebrew Day, drink one for us because we're underage. Um, Sunday is Beverage Day, so you can keep on trucking with the <laughs> Just homebrew. Keep drinking day. all that, you know. Brew them on Saturday. Drinking themed drink weekend. Drink them on Sunday. <laughs> it's also No Diet Day. No Diet Day. No homework day and world laughter day. As if we really need another excuse. People really like everyone's we're always all, like, "I need another excuse." We in college are, uh, you know, not doing the homework already because <laughs> we're just studying for exams. Um, <laughs> sometimes. Uh, okay, and Monday is Astronomy Day, National Tourism Day, and Accountants Day, and I don't. Even accountants need love. I, mean. I, did, I didn't want to end with Accountants Day, but I don't have any other holidays, so oh. I guess we just oh. did. I guess we'll so. just next Monday we'll celebrate Accountants Day. So yeah, there thanks for listening, and don't forget to celebrate your way through the week. As the Triangle continues to be one of the most rapidly growing population centers in the United States, some see the need for more comprehensive public transit system. Nick spoke with an advocate for the Wake County Transit Plan about a possible future with rapid mass transit. The Triangle is in the midst of a lot of change right now, and the growing population is becoming a challenge to handle. To prepare for this burgeoning populace, a transit plan has been proposed to help link the region together more fluidly. A local group known as Wake Up Wake County, made up of concerned citizens advocating for this proposal, 
hopes to help educate the area about the need for this transit plan and how it will benefit the regional development. Karen we see ourselves Reed, as really the voice for citizens who are concerned about how fast we're growing goals. as a region. And what we're really trying to do is promote sustainable communities and really what we call good growth or smart growth. The plan originated in response to forecasts involving immense growth in the area, and local leaders saw transit as necessary to support such expansion. A few years ago, elected officials and civic leaders from the area got together and said, we've really got to figure out how we're going to plan for growth. They came up with a vision for regional transit that would connect us all and help us plan for growth. And they came out with a vision in about 2008. So Wake Up Wake County, my organization, saw this as an opportunity to start a real dialogue with the community about the need for public transit. In our view, there is probably nothing more essential for planning for our future population growth and development than putting in place a bold regional public transit system that will help people get around much more efficiently. So since that time, we have been following the development of the transit plan, and they've now come up with a plan for Wake County, Orange County, and Durham County. And last year, the transit plan for Wake County was released. So we see this as a great opportunity and really a crucial time to engage the public in a discussion about the need for public transit. And really, we hope encourage folks to ultimately, as you said, vote for a plan for expanding public transit. As it stands, the plan includes a lot of proposals, all of which would contribute greatly to the overall success of the plan. The plan on the books right now would, first of all, double our bus service. Uh, And by that, we mean putting a lot more buses on the road. And that means that the buses would come more frequently. For example, if the bus only comes every 30 minutes, it would come every 15 minutes. In some small towns around the county, it only comes every hour. So some don't have any bus service at all. So we want to make sure that all 12 towns around Wake County are connected and that people will have access to job centers like NC State and state government, all the major universities, the airport, that kind of thing. But in addition to the bus... We want to go a step further, which is passenger rail. Right now, we have an occasional Amtrak that comes through. But we would like to see, and this is part of the plan, a rail system to help move commuters, people who need to get to and from work. You know, And as you all know, in the Triangle, people commute all over the place. You've got people in Garner going to Durham and Chapel Hill to Wake Forest, and people need to move great distances. So a passenger rail for commuters would basically be diesel trains on existing rail track, but that would come about every 30 minutes during peak hours and would run throughout the day. So people could actually use it, you know, if they had to get to Durham in the middle of the day or wanted to go to a ball game or a concert, it would be available. So the doubling of the bus service and the commuter rail would be the first phase of the transit plan. And the second phase, which is pretty exciting, but it's no guarantee, would be to actually build a light rail system. And a light rail system is, you know, think subway, electric trains that go every 10 to 20 minutes, shorter distances. And the main route there would really connect downtown Cary through Western Raleigh, NC State, south of Hillsborough Street to downtown Raleigh and then going north into North Raleigh. And we could only build that if we get some federal assistance and state assistance. But we think that's really possible. And with this plan would come innumerable benefits to the region. One of the things we like to talk about when we're talking about the benefits of transit is the three E's and a Q. And the E's are the economy, energy, the environment, and quality of life. 
And the reason I love transit and the reason why Wake Up Wake County is promoting public transit is because it has so many benefits. First of all, with the economy, we're, we know that transit brings new jobs. It brings new jobs not only building transit, but corporations increasingly, when they're looking for places to locate, they want to go to cities where their employees have good public transit to use to get to work. We also know that new businesses sprout up around transit stations, particularly rail stations and light rail stations. It's called transit-oriented development. And in places like around D.C. and St. Louis and Portland and, I mean, umpteen other cities that already have the transit in place, they have seen billions of dollars in new businesses. That means jobs. And it also means community. I mean, think about having a place where you can live and walk down the stairs and there's cafes and your drugstore and you run into your friends and you say let's go grab a beer i mean it's it's community as well as economic vitality really so that's the first e second e is energy well what's probably one of the biggest concerns on people's mind today which is gas prices right so um and increasingly people cannot afford to drive uh, or they're certainly driving less so what is what's their alternative if they don't even have a decent transit system how many people have I ever talked to that have moved here, whether from other parts of this country or other or other countries, who've said, I, I can't get around <laughs> unless I own a car? Uh, so clearly, you're, if you're using transit, you're going to save energy. And that's uh, also important for just for global issues. Um, the environment, surely we're going to have, we're all concerned about air quality. One of the main reasons that kids in North Carolina go to the emergency room is because of asthma. So the more we can get cars off the road, the better off we're all going to be in terms of air quality. Uh, and then finally, just quality of life. Um, if uh, if you when you're at the point in your life when you are commuting and you're spending a lot of time behind the wheel of a car, think about if you could be spending that time working on your laptop. You know, you're on your iPhone talking to somebody, reading a book or the newspaper. Um, it's a lot more relaxing. And um, the other thing is transit promotes. Uh, healthy lifestyles in charlotte they actually did a study of the light rail riders and the transit riders and they found out that they lost on average six and a half pounds because they were using transit why is that why do you think they're walking imagine that so um it makes a lot of sense and you know it will help with the obesity epidemic um and the last thing i want to say um is you know, a lot of folks say, well, I kind of like the way things are here now. We sort of like our suburban model. We don't really want to be too urban. And if you do like that, um, and, and we all treasure our parks and our, our, our greenways and our streams, transit is an answer. Because the more you have transit, it, the transit and rail attracts development along those rail lines. And so, in essence, we are protecting farmland and open space and our watersheds from more development that put pressure on them. So there are a whole lot of reasons to support transit. And as I said, that's why Wake Up Wake County, my organization, is so excited about public transit. For those interested in helping Wake Up Wake County and advancing this plan, there are several options. First thing is we would love to have everyone sign our petition online which is at capitalareafriendsoftransit.org. You can sign up, and then we will we can use that petition to tell elected officials, this, this many people, this, that, these thousands of people right here support public transit and want to see this plan in place. So go to www.capitalareafriendsoftransit.org, sign the petition. 
The second thing is we need everyone to contact their local elected officials and express their support for expanding transit and ideally for holding this referendum this November. And you can go, if you go to our website and you go to, on the Take Action tab, you can um, get information on how to contact your mayor, city councilor, and your county commissioner. Um, and there's, we'll have talking points and sample emails and things that you can send. So it doesn't have to be long. It can simply be, you know, dear Madam Mayor, we hope you'll support the Wake County Transit Plan. You know, I'm a student and I sure would like to see more, more transit in Raleigh. For Eye on the Triangle, I'm Nick Savage. The school year may be winding down, but that doesn't mean there aren't still things to do. Here's what's happening around campus. So you can see... Happy May 1st, everyone. Starting April 23rd, anyone can donate at one of the 13 Packrat donation locations around campus. The yearly program is a collaborative effort by the NC State University Housing and Waste Reduction and Recycling Office to reduce waste sent to the landfill and give back to the Raleigh community. Last year, the program reported to have collected 18,000 pounds of clothes, shoes, TVs, furniture, appliances, food, and more from the generous donations of students. So do your part. The Department of Graphic Design and Industrial Design invite you to the Senior Capstone Exhibition and Reception Materialize, beginning with a reception on April 26 at 4.30 p.m. in Brooks Hall Main Gallery. The exhibition will run until May 7th and is open and free to the public. Please drop by and view work of our seniors before they graduate. Wednesday, May 2nd marks the first day of final exams, so get to studying. The 2012 Triangle Walk With Me fundraiser to benefit Easter Seals UCP of North Carolina and Virginia will be held on NC State's Centennial Campus on Saturday, May 5th. Registration will begin at 9 a.m. with the walk kicking off at 10 a.m., followed by a celebration at the MRC Plaza with food, music, and games. And spring semester commencement will begin Saturday, May 12th. Brian the Triangle, this is Grant Buckner saying have a great summer. Now for the answer to last week's riddle. Congratulations to John Booker for getting the answer on our Facebook page. The bus driver broke no laws because he was walking. This week's riddle is as follows, and it's a short one. I am as large as a castle, yet lighter than air. One hundred men and their horses cannot possibly move me. What am I? Hmm. If you know the answer, be sure to tell us on our Facebook page. And as always, if you heard anything you liked, you hated, or anything that just made you think, let us know on our Facebook page. You can also follow us on Twitter at WKNC underscore EOT. Also, be sure to check out our blog at WKNC.org, where you can also download our podcast. And before we go, we'd just like to let you know this will be our last show for the year. We will have some summer shows, although the schedule has not been figured out yet. Keep up with our blog for more information. It is also the last show with Nick Savage in charge. He's going away to Europe, and Ooh. I'd just like to wish you the best of luck. Well, thank, thank you very much, Jake. Mm -hmm. That's all we have for you tonight. Good night.